Our preaching passage this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. I believe that's on page 856 in your pew Bibles. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. If you'll stand with me as we honor God's Word together. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, we're looking at the Bible this morning, and let me uh, set up the context for you this way. So we've been doing a series on songs of the season, and uh, we looked uh, last week at, uh, at Mary's song, and Mary's song is all about joy. And so, you know, obviously joy is a big uh, thing at Christmas, and so we looked at joy and how you have joy by, by entering into real worship of God. And for Mary, she gave us uh, three reasons to enter that worship of God. You may remember that the personal, that God cares for you personally, not just, you know, you're not just a crowd. He cares for each one of us. He knows you by name. He cares for you. So that's a great reason to go, I want to follow this God. I want, to, I, want to, he wants, I want him to be my God. He cares about me. So personal. And then also the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just for the rich and the powerful. You know, The kingdom of God is about the broken and the humble and the sad. And God coming alongside in Christ and lifting us. That's a great reason to rejoice. And then uh, the other reason that Mary gave was uh, the fulfillment reason. So God has made promises. They're in the Bible in the Old Testament. He's kept his promises. And therefore, this is the kind of God you can trust with your life. Things that are going on in your life, I can trust him. I may not understand it, but I can trust him because he's fulfilled his promises. And so we looked at joy that comes from worshiping God and the reasons to do that. And then the previous week, we were in the Old Testament looking at the book of Isaiah and um, uh, or Isaiah, you know, and, uh, and Isaiah is all about uh, hope, and uh, that, that's a big part of this season too. So the hope, the expectation of Christ's coming, and the hope and the expectation that he's going to come again. In other words, if you're a Christian here, if you're following Christ, you are not, you're not on the losing side. There's a hope. Christ is coming. He's coming back. His kingdom will come. And that's the hope we have. And Isaiah's uh, all about hope. This morning, Zachariah's song that we just, uh, Pastor Josh just read out for us, is all about freedom. 
So we have hope, joy, and now this morning, freedom. What an important, what an important issue. Um, Gary Badcock, who's a theologian, says that in our day, so he's still alive, he's writing about, he's, he's talking about right now. In our day, the issue of freedom is becoming virtually the only issue that is defining every aspect of our lives. Freedom. It's a huge issue. Now, so what's going on here in this song is the story is like this. So Zechariah, he's an old priest, okay? So he went into the temple. He and his wife Elizabeth are past uh, childbearing age. He goes to the temple. He has a vision of, uh, uh, he, he meets an angel. The angel tells him, like, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah says, that's impossible. You know how old I am. That doesn't happen to people, you know, we're past childbearing age. And because he doesn't believe, he is given the sign, he himself and those who will meet him afterwards, of not being able to utter a word. So he comes out of the temple, can't say anything. Everyone knows he's met an angel. That must be the reason. And so the, the, the pregnancy goes on, and Elizabeth has a child. And um, the angel said that his name will be John. And so Elizabeth says he's, he's going to be called John. And all the relatives um, are, are saying, no, you can't call him John because no one in our family is called John. It's not a family name. So we can't call him John. And, then, and so they go uh, and find Zachariah, the father. Remember, he's mute, he cannot say anything. And they, they pass him a, uh, a writing tablet. So in ancient days, they had these writing tablets like this where you, you wrote on chalk or they, they had wax often and they, they scraped it off that way and then they, and they uh, smoothed it over again. And they give him a writing tablet, a bit like a, you know, um, first century equivalent of an iPad or something like that, you know. And he writes on it, his name shall be called John. And at that moment, he can speak again. And what he speaks is this. And as I say, all that he's talking about, the, the big sort of theme of it is freedom. That's a hugely important issue. Remember that quotation from Gary Badcock, that theologian, that is virtually the defining aspect of all our lives these days, freedom. And freedom, of course, we live in a country that celebrates freedom. I mean, the highest... The highest Award you can get as a civilian in America is the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Freedom is a massive issue for us. But, but it's also a, a confused issue, a controverted issue, even a controversial issue these days. And what does it mean to be free? Does that mean sexually free? D- does it mean I, I shouldn't follow any laws? Um, or, or, or what, what, is, what is this freedom thing? And how do I get it? You know, is freedom about financially free? I'm financially independent. Now I'm free. Is that freedom? Or is it something better than that and bigger than that? So Zachariah's talking about freedom. And uh, there are two elements that he's talking about here in this, in this passage. The passage is divided in two sections, two elements. And um, the division of the passage is, so first element, 68 to 75, and if you're taking notes, 76 to 79. And there are two elements underneath freedom, okay, this is the sermon, it's about freedom, two elements from this, from this song. And the first element is about um, what is freedom, because I've just said it's controverted and controversial and convoluted today. We don't know what freedom is. So what is freedom? And that's what Zachariah here defines, the first part, 68 to 75. And then the second part is, how do I get that freedom? I mean, it really is that good, as Zachariah talks about. How do I get it? And Zachariah will tell us in uh, 76 to 79. 
And you can see the structure of this uh, passage. It's just beautifully done as, as poetry. So there's something in, in Hebraic poetry, and this is really um, reflecting kind of Old Testament poetry in the way that Zechariah does it. Remember, he's a priest. And he, he has something called parallelism, which means like it's a mirror to indicate the first part is the question, the second part is the answer, the first part is the expectation, the second part is the fulfillment, the first part is what is freedom? The second part is, how do you get freedom? He has three words that indicate that's what's going on. So you look at verse 68, he says, for he has visited us, visited and redeemed his people, the word visit, and then you go down to verse 78, the samurai shall visit us. So you've got expectation, fulfillment, uh, promise, fulfillment, how do we get freedom? What is freedom? How do we get freedom? That word visit. And then the word salvation, verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation, and then verse 77, the second half of the poem or the song, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. What is salvation? Then how do you get it? And then the same with the word mercy, to show, verse 72, to show the mercy promised our fathers. And then verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. This is a, this is a poetic technique in biblical poetry to indicate there's a parallel going on. I'm setting up what the question is and now I'm going to tell you what the answer is. And so the first part of the, of, the, of the poem, the first part of the message is, what is freedom? And the second part is, how do I get it? So what is freedom? And what he does from verse 68 to verse 75, he uses a lot of kind of biblical language that's perhaps hard for us to enter into and figure out what it really means today. But basically what he's doing with this biblical language is he's recounting and celebrating what is freedom according to a predominant shape a predominant mentality, a predominant idea in the Bible about freedom, namely the exodus. That is when God's people were rescued from Egypt, the exodus. And it's all about this. That's freedom. Look how he does it. So verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Well, what does that mean? Well, when you bless God, um, you think, well, how can I bless God? Doesn't God bless me? When the Bible says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, what's going on is you're saying, God is so great that I'm just I'm acknowledging and confirming and saying that he is the ultimate blessed being. So that's what, what's what Zechariah is doing. It's a bit like saying, praise God. Not quite the same, but the same sort of idea. So blessed be the Lord or praise God. For he has visited, we talked about that, and then he says, and redeemed his people. That's a exodus word. So redemption is rescuing someone from slavery. That's the idea in the word, redeemed his people. How has he done it? He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. We'll look at that fulfillment in a moment. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. He's thinking about the Egyptian enemies when God's people were in slavery and from the hand of all who hate us he's thinking about the Egyptian uh, the, the slavery of God's people when when there were there were people trying to kill them and kill their children they were people who I mean it sounds strong language hate but that's really what they experienced and then to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham that so that oath is right back in the Bible's story Abraham was promised that through him there would come a seed that would be the salvation for all nations. And he was told there would be a time when his people would go into slavery and then they'd be rescued. So this is all fulfilling this, this story, this promise, 
to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that is the exodus shape mind of freedom, might serve him without fear. Now get this, serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now get this, when he says here, serve him without fear, the word for serve here, it's fine translation, serve, but the word for serve here has in it an idea of worship. And what he's talking about is, so here's the story. You went into, God's people went into captivity. They went into Egypt and then God rescued them from Egypt and then he brought them out into the desert and then they served him without fear. That is finally, they are able to worship God at the mountain, serving him without fear. And that's, that's what he's talking about. So the, sh- the, sh- the shape of the mind of Zechariah, what, what Zechariah is singing about, what the Bible here is saying, when it comes to freedom, it's all about this exodus. In other words, freedom then, what is freedom? Freedom is about being rescued, taken out from this stuff that, that holds you captive, that, that enslaves you, so that you can serve God without fear. That's freedom. What a different idea from freedom than the one we have. I mean, for us, freedom is about doing whatever you want whenever you want it, really. That's what we think of when we think freedom. Yeah, I'm free. I can do whatever I want whenever I want it. But here's, here's what Zachariah is saying. No, freedom is about being rescued from captivity so that you might serve God without fear in righteousness and justice and holiness all the days of your life. That's freedom. In other words, in the Bible's mindset, and this really goes back also to kind of extra-biblical ideas, ancient wisdom ideas the Bible is fulfilling and explaining, in the Bible's mindset, freedom is finally about being the person you were made to be and doing what you were made to do. And human wisdom has always understood this. Hasn't always understood how it's going to happen, but always understood this. Right back to Plato, you know, obviously one of the greatest philosophers that ever lived. Plato defined freedom in two ways. There's negative freedom, he said, that is release from captivity or things that enslave you. That's negative freedom. But then there's positive freedom, which is being free to do what you are meant to do. And what Zechariah is saying here is the freedom, negative then positive, is being released from captivity in Egypt, the Exodus, so that you might serve God without fear. For that is what you're designed to do. You are designed to serve God without fear. If you're looking for purpose and meaning in your life, you're only going to find it when you serve God without fear and righteousness and justice and homeless all the days of your life. That's what you're meant to do. That's freedom. Being who you're meant to be. Now, we, we find this such a hard idea. I, I do. We've been taught since the cradle, and I come from a very secular background, and so these ideas of freedom in the Bible are very strange to me. We, we find it really hard to think this kind of way. We tend to either go above what the Bible talks about freedom or under it, and, and, and particularly in church circles or religious circles, we tend to go under it and become kind of legalistic and repressive. But we can also go above it. You go above the idea of freedom or underneath the idea of freedom, and both, both aren't really helpful. A lot of uh, the world outside, the culture, the, the, the secular culture is, is kind of going above the idea of freedom. You know, you, freedom is being free to do whatever you want, whenever you want it. That's what they're saying freedom is. But it's, it's, it's utterly wrong-headed. That's not freedom. That can be really problematic. Why? Because what I want, what I desire, what I feel is not necessarily what's good for me. 
Because in the Bible's story, in the Bible's way of thinking, we humans, our desires are not always for what's best for us. We desire things that are not good for us. Look, I've got an illustration for this that is, is really, really simple. And I, I, I feel slightly embarrassed to share it. But every time I've shared it with someone in an individual pastoral conversation, it's been really helpful. So I'm going to share it even though it is incredibly simplistic. But here it goes. Imagine, if you will, that you are a fish. Okay, just there you go. You're like, we're in Nemo, right? Swimming around through the sea or in a goldfish bowl or something. You got gills. You're a fish, okay? You there? And then you decide for some reason that you want to be free. So you hop out of the goldfish bowl, you get out of the sea, and you land on the counter, you land on the deck, and there you are. And your, your gills are going crazy. You ever done fishing? You know what they're like? Are you free? You're no longer confined by the limitations of water. You're not free. You're dying. Because you're no longer doing what you're made to do. You're no longer being who you're made to be. That's not freedom, it's death. See, in our, today we have such a, a wrong, it's the root of, of, I would say, like 90%, you know, like what's the phrase, 95% of statistics are made up on the spot, you know, something like that. But 90% of our, of our issues and problems today are rooted in a wrong idea of freedom. And it goes back to, of course, the 60s and the sexual liberation and all that sort of thing. You know, a lot of that, Aldous Huxley, one of the main thinkers, the drivers behind the sexual liberation, he wrote a book called Ends and Means. And in that book, Aldous Huxley, a lot, if you go on the internet, they'll tell you he didn't really say this. But if you read the book, he did. And I've read the book. And he did say this. So in Aldous Huxley, he basically said, he said this, we, were, we, we desired to release ourselves from a system of, of, of morality because it was repressing our desire for sexual liberation. And there was one admirable and convenient way to do so, to, to, to be able to embrace our political and erotic revolt, namely to declare that the world had absolutely no meaning whatsoever, which we did. End quote. And that's basically where we are. It's only kind of that on speed now, gone more and more and more. Now what people are saying is not that the world has no meaning, but to declare that the world has meaning is actually a repression. To declare that there is a design, to declare that you are made for something, that you have a purpose, that you were created in the mind of God, in the love of God for a purpose for you, that's repressive. What they're saying is it's repressive to keep a fish in water. No, it's not. That's what the fish is designed to do. You are designed to... Serve God without fear and all justice and holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. That's what he made you for. When you grasp that, then you can be the dad that you're meant to be. Then you can be the mother you're meant to be. Then you can be, you can be the daughter you're meant to be. Then you can be the son you're meant to be. Then you can be the banker you're meant to be. Then you can be the minister you're meant to be. Then you can be the pastor you're meant to be. Then you can be the missionary you're meant to be. Then you can be the Bible study group leader you're meant to be. Because now you're living according to your design, which is 
Freedom. That's all the Exodus shape. That's what freedom is. And when you start to live that way, your life you know, gets a lot better, frankly. I mean, you, you start to live according to the maker's design. We live in a fallen world. Things don't always go well if you follow Jesus in full conviction and commitment. But things certainly get a lot better, that's for sure. You know, T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard in 2016 came out with a, 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 a um, conclusion to, I think, a decades-long study of, of health and religion. And what they decided uh, was uh, that, they, that, they, that if you went to church, it's an epidemiology. I can never say that word correctly, but I'll say it fast enough in the English accent and you think I've got it right. <laughs> they decided in 2016, that, that, that this is a conclusion, T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard, that, that if, you, if you went to church regularly, you were 33% less likely to die than if you never went to church. So now you've got a reason to go to church, I guess. I mean, it's a reason. Not the greatest reason, but it's a reason. It's just a little, you know, and it opens up all this window of like, now you're doing what you're designed to be. That's freedom. Freedom from captivity to serve God without fear in all righteousness and holiness and justice all the days of your life. So first of all, what is freedom? Second, well, okay, so that sounds good. I can be the person I'm meant to be. I can do what I'm meant to do. I'm living on design, and that's freedom. How do I get there? Well, this is the second half of the passage, verse 76 through to verse uh, 79. You can see how it switches. He says, and you, child, verse 76, and now he's been talking about what freedom is, and now how it's going to happen. And you, child, and he's talking, of course, here of John the Baptist, uh, his child, and you, child, but here there's another echo of it. It's fascinating. It's so, so well constructed, this, this poem. The phrase, and you, child, the word child is very closely related. I said we're going to pick up uh, what I said earlier about in the house of his servant David and its fulfillment. The word servant is very closely related in the original to the word translated here, child. So it could be in the house of his servant David, and you, servant, will be called the prophet of the Most High, or in the house of his child, David, and you, little child, will be called prophet of the Most High. It's kind of reflecting that. It's talking about John the Baptist, he's going to be a prophet of the Most High, that is the prophet of God. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. That is then how you get freedom. There are two parts to it. This is the first part of how you get freedom. That is the first part of how you get freedom. That is the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of your sins. That is the captivity. Your sins are the captivity that you need to be released from so that you can then serve God and be the person you're meant to be. That the knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. So you can go above the line into finding freedom. We talked about that. You can also go underneath it. You can live in a way whereby, and church people are really good at this. Religious people are really good at this. It's like, it's a constant guilt trip. You know, you go to church and they just make you feel bad. Or, or you know, someone says, no, you don't understand that Bible passage right. And you feel about this, this high, you know, this small. Um, I, I was um, trained in, a, in a, uh, uh, a Christian group of people who, one of the, one of the, and they, they trained us to lead Bible studies. And um, that one of the, uh, I think, thought it was a slightly awful way to do it, but it was kind of funny at the same time. They, they trained us that if you were in a Bible study and you were leading the Bible study and someone got the Bible passage wrong, the right technique was just to look them in the eye and say, thank you for that. Anyone else got an idea? <laughs> 
You must show that guy for like, faith is small. He lived by guilt, legalism, underneath the idea of freedom. No, in the John the, the, John the Baptist message that Zechariah here is now summarizing is the knowledge of the salvation of the forgiveness of sins, that God separates from you your sins as far as the east is from the west, that is, you cannot discover them, that he buries them in the deepest part of the sea, that is, they cannot be discovered, that is, he says, I will remember your sins no more, that God is able actually to forget somehow in the mystery of God's providence, forget your sins. It's gone. It's wiped away. The knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of sins. That's how you get free. How does that come? It comes by listening to the message of John, John the Baptist. Look, and what does he say? Well, you can find out in, in Luke chapter 3. Um, uh, Luke picks it up. He describes the message. Luke chapter 3 verse 7. He, that is John the Baptist, said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you guys are all so lovely. I just love you. You don't need to change at all. Just do whatever you want. That's freedom. No, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. It's not very Christmassy, I think, to say, is it? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, the message on the Baptist that comes, the knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of sins, is a message that is dependent upon and requires repentance. Like, you're, you're not... Say so you're a Christian here, okay? And you're listening to me preach this way about what freedom is and then how do you get it. And you say, look, pastor, I don't have any freedom. You know, okay. But then you, you go back home and you get out your iPhone and you start looking at pornography. Are you, are you, is there any, any surprise you don't experience freedom? You've got to repent. You've, you've got to, you know, that is, you've got, to, you've got to go back to analog or something. Get out that iPhone, give it away. Get a flip phone, you know, and, and use one of those things. Everyone will look at you very strange. They'll think like you're a drug dealer, like you've got a burner, you know, a flip phone, you'll throw it away. <laughs> but that's better. Oh, bitterness or anger. Someone in the church that you haven't forgiven. and No, no wonder you don't feel free. You're, you're, you're fuming inside. You've got to repent from that. You've got, to, you've got to find a way to say, Lord, help me to see how much you've forgiven me and therefore I can forgive someone else. Therefore I must forgive someone else. So the first way to get this freedom is the knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of sins that comes through repentance, the message of John the Baptist. But the second way is so... So beautiful. So back to chapter 1. Here it carries on. So it's all about freedom, this message. What is freedom? And then how do you get freedom? Two ways to get freedom. First, knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of sins that comes through repentance, John the Baptist message. But then, beautifully, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Remember how it reflects this salvation mercy visit? It's at the answer to the problem, the, the solution to the expectation. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. What Zechariah is talking about, remember he's a priest, an elderly priest, very familiar with the Bible. What he's talking about here is the messianic promises that are filled with this kind of imagery in the Old Testament. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. He's talking about dawn, D-A-W-N, sunrise. And what he's saying is when Jesus comes, when the baby is born, it's like there's been a deep, dark 
night and then the sunrise. He shall visit us from on high. That is the incarnation of God. God himself incarnate in Christ. It's like a sunrise. And what does he do? He gives light. It's the same image of light. He gives light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. We, we all, all of us, are in the shadow of death. For we all know that we're going to die. We all are deeply aware of our own mortality, that we're going to die unless Jesus returns first. We're all sitting in the shadow of death. And then comes along Jesus, the sunrise, and he teaches, and he lives, and he dies on the cross for our sins. He rises again, as the Bible says, he brings life and immortality to light. We know now that there is a path to eternity. We know now that we will, if we trust in him, be raised from the dead. We know we have his light shining us in the darkness. We now have the sunrise has come to guide our feet into the way of peace. His light is guiding us into the the way of peace. Peace here is not just absence of conflict or absence of war. Peace is the Bible's idea of peace, the shalom peace, the wholeness, the integrity, the becoming what you were made to be, freedom. And as you follow Christ, you increasingly enter in to that freedom. Each step you take, you enter into that freedom. When you repent of your sins, Again, you enter in, you take another step towards freedom. When you get disciplined about reading the Bible, you enter into that freedom. When you start to say, you know, I'm going to really give my life by telling other people about Jesus, you enter into that freedom. You start to move increasingly as he guides you along the path of peace, that is the path of wholeness, integrity, becoming who and what you were designed to be until one day, one glorious day, See, right now we're living at the sunrise of this new day. That's where we are. But one day, one glorious day, in the city of our God, there'll be no night. And God himself will be our light. And we'll be finally free. That's what's on offer. You say, okay, well, how do I get there? Well, two quick ways to get there as we close. And the first is just to reaffirm and underline again that in order to get there, you've got to, have the right, you've got to understand the right idea of freedom, neither going above or underneath. The biblical idea of freedom, freedom from captivity, freedom to serve God without fear. Let me illustrate that this way. You know, and it's a, it's a huge issue because right now in Christianity, in the world and in, in the church, in Christianity these days, there are massive pressures going on either towards progressivism or towards the politicization of Christianity. And we've got to stick with the biblical idea of, of the gospel of freedom. And the illustration is this. Back in 1934 in Germany, Biblical godly Christians got together in protest against the the Nazi takeover of the church. And they formulated something called the Barman Declaration. And in that declaration, they said that the freedom of the church ever consists in this, in its declaration of the free grace of God. 
we've got to have this biblical idea of the gospel. Not, not progressivism, not politicized either. You know, the, the, the great hope of, of the world is neither communism nor capitalism. The great hope of the world is the, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that one day, one glorious day, there'll be a city of God and you, you can be a part of that and the light of God will shine and there'll be no darkness at all. That's the idea. So you've got to get the idea right. But then it's, it's not just ideology, it's personal We actually personally, the freedom is serving God without fear. We personally got to commit to serve him without fear. As strange as it seems that the, the real freedom comes from serving God without fear. And it's a hard thing for us to understand. Let me, here's one way that I found helpful. There's a great, um, one of the greatest poets of the English language, someone called Coleridge. And Coleridge um, has uh, one of his sort of big works is something called Aids to Reflection. And it's a series of ideas that Coleridge and his you know, genius used to try and get people to think differently and think outside the box and all the rest. And one point in this, Coleridge says, the only way for a finite human, a finite, that is someone defined by limitations of space and time, we're all finite, okay? So the only way for a finite human to have freedom is to align their will with God. Why? Because he's infinite. And if you're to experience freedom, you need to align your will with God. Lord, I, I'm going to align my will with yours. Here's an illustration to close. Uh, there, uh, long, long time ago in, in the West, um, you know, long before there were cars or trains or anything like that, uh, I guess there may have been trains, but a long time before there were cars, there was a guy who uh, rode in on his horse into this town every day, and he rode in always to the bar. He went to the bar, got drunk, got in a fight, you know, lived that kind of lifestyle. And he hitched his horse to the post outside the bar. And then he gave his life to Christ. He recommitted his life to Christ. He decided to follow Christ. And the next day when he rode into town, he didn't hitch his horse to the post outside the door. He hitched his horse to the post outside the church. And he did this for a week or so. Eventually the barman came up to him and said, what are you doing? You used to hitch your horse to the post outside the bar. Now, now... Now you're hitching your horse to the post outside the church. What's happened? And the guy said, I've become a Christian. I've changed hitching posts. That's what you've got to do. You've got to change hitching posts. Align your will with God. That's the only way to be free. There's a fish in water. Oh, Lord God, we do pray that we would be free and increasingly free as a church and as individuals. We bow before you, Lord, and thank you that you have a design for us that is so perfect and so beautiful. And we do look forward to it with joy and with hope. And especially this morning, Lord, we celebrate the freedom that you have for us, that you set your, free, your people free from Egypt, that you set your people free from the captivity to sin and bondage and darkness. 
Lord, that you sent your son to come into this world, to be born as a baby, that we might be free and that one day we might be finally and fully and completely free. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to run from the things that enslave us, the sin that so easily entangles. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, we increasingly be a church that serves you without fear in all righteousness and holiness and justice all the days of our lives. And we give you all the praise and glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.